cop killer they won't tell you about. The cop killer they won't tell you about. This is amazing. It's very tragic. It also reveals a lot about the fake conversation that's happening right now in America or lack of a conversation about certain things. So the other night here in New York City, uh, a police officer was killed, a member of the Highway Patrol. He had responded to a fatal vehicular accident and he was directing traffic and he was clipped by a drunk driver. All right. Now, his name, police officer Anastasios Sakos, a 14 year veteran of the force, uh, leaves behind a six year old daughter and three year old girl. Now, the person believed responsible is this individual. Her name is uh, Jessica Boves, 32 years old. And uh, yes, twice the legal limit of alcohol in her system. Now, that would be a tragedy and would be infuriating, but uh, it gets um, more interesting and worse because the way she spent the final hours before this accident, well, she was venting on Facebook for 90 minutes about how much she hates cops, how much she despises law enforcement. And throughout it all, she's downing vodka left and right. Here are her thoughts on law enforcement. Why do you need a weapon to do your job? The f are you afraid of? Because some people really don't give a f like NWA say about the police. If you're going to kill me, at least I get to take a couple of you with me. I'm one of those sick people. If I'm going to go, some of y'all is coming. Catch that? Sick people? Yeah, I think she's right there. Something about she's going to take somebody with her. Inciting that vile song uh, about police by N.W.A. More on that in a little bit. Actually, right now, N.W.A. came out with this horrendously violent song in, night, in the late 80s, and she quotes it as she signs off. I will see you guys next Monday at 6 p.m. back here on Face of Reality Radio, on the Instagram, and on the Facebook. And until then, the police. Blank the police. And she said it again and again. Blank the police. And she drove off and killed a cop with her car because she was drunk. And you probably haven't heard about this by now. Hmm? Now imagine for a moment if it were a, um, a Trump supporter wearing a MAGA hat, and uh, did a little Facebook Live and ranted and raved about how much they hated Black Lives Matter and how they wanted to make America great again. And if they jumped in their car and hit a protester at a Black Lives Matter rally, what kind of uh, treatment do you think that would receive on the morning news? Wall to wall, on the evening news too, and all the cable networks. Instead, they're talking about, well, cops and their alleged misconduct. Fatal police shooting of Andrew Brown Jr. This as protests grow and the fight over body cam and dash cam footage of the incident heads to court later this morning. Newly released surveillance video shows sheriff's deputies arriving at Andrew Brown Jr.'s house before he was shot. Andrew Brown Jr. was fatally shot by deputies. In this new video taken moments before Brown was killed, North Carolina sheriff's deputies seen racing down the street piled in the back of a truck, speeding up to his home. More of that. It was just like that the day before. 
The, also, the other thing they love talking about still is the Chauvin trial. I heard from alternate juror number two, and now I'm hearing from alternate juror number seven. 31-year-old Brandon Mitchell was known only as juror number 52, and he joins us now. Brandon, we're really glad to see you because all of us wanted to know what happened. For the first time, we're hearing what went on in that jury room. Brandon Mitchell served on the jury. He joins us this morning. I spoke to Brandon just moments ago. Good morning, Brandon. Thank you for your willingness to to share with us. Oh, okay. Uh, alternate juror number 52. All right. But let's remind everybody. We had a person venting about how much she hated cops on the Internet for an hour and a half, getting drunk, how she would like to take a cop out with her if she were going down, and she proceeded to kill a cop. Take the politics out of this. I'm going to talk about somebody, you know, from a newsroom perspective. This is a big, fat, juicy story. I'm sorry, but it is. And no one's talking about it. No one. It does not fit their narrative. It's not in line with what they want to talk about. Now, I actually watched her entire show. It's an hour and a half long. A lot of it was uh, gibberish. A lot of it was hate. Um, here's a portion. I don't like barriers. That's why I don't like working. That's why I don't like rules. I ain't very... I am ignorant. I don't like being told what to do. I'm sorry. Bring you two photo chairs right here, baby. Will you sit right here for me? All right, she's ignorant. She doesn't want to work. Um, that was one of the more um, understandable parts, you know, that I could hear. Uh, oh, and this was actually a sweet moment and also very sad at the same time where she seems to be saying hello to her child. Hi, Juju. I'm sorry, I'm supposed to be saying hi to y'all, but Juju just woke me in. Hi, Juju. I'll be right back. Hi, Mama. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm done being ghetto. Okay. Hi, Mama. That was nice. And it's even more heartbreaking when we know what's about to happen. She offered some actually very common views on religion and God. I've heard this kind of stuff before, and this saddens me as well. His name is whatever you want to call him. I call him God. Sometimes I call him universe. Sometimes I separate them. Sometimes they're the same person. For me, God is the father, the universe is my mother, and I'm a product of the environment. This is what I tell myself. This is what I live by, and it makes sense for me. I'm not one of them people that's going to go to the Bible for you. I'm not going to go pray for you. I'm not going to wish nothing good for you. I don't know how that became something that makes sense. It does make sense. And you know what? Um... I'm going to pray for you. I suggest we all pray for you uh, because there is a way out of this, Miss um, uh, Bovace. There is through God. That is my fervent wish for you, that you don't do this alone. Look at where that has gotten you. You don't do this by looking at the fake news and reacting to them. Look at where this has gotten you, okay? There is a way out. We'll also offer our prayers to Officer Sakos. Again, dead at the age of 43, leaves behind a daughter and a son, just six and three years old. We'll be right back. Information. Truth. Is power. Is freedom. Is money. Is health. 
is Newsmax. Millions watch it for free. So can you. No paywall, no subscription. Newsmax is real news for real people. All I, All I can, can say is, is that, that the, the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? They don't. They don't. Uh, all right. This is a vile song by a vile group, even though it was a good movie, straight out of Compton. Uh, this is NWA, N-word with attitude, or without attitude, I forget. Uh, this is one of their favorite songs, or most famous songs. Goes like this. Police coming straight from the underground. A young got it back, cause I'm brown. And not the other color, so police. All right. F the police. Uh, I guess I'm not cool. I don't like this song. I think it's repugnant. I remember the controversy vaguely when it came out, then the Straight Outta Compton movie. Guess what? That silly song, around for so many decades and a lot of music just like it, planted seeds. And now those seeds are apparently in full bloom. You know who I want to give some credit to? Al Gore. Yeah, President Al Gore, Vice President Al Gore, uh, didn't become president, of course, but... Guess what? Back when we had a culture, back when we had a country, um, Al Gore, Democrat, and his wife, Tipper, stood up for something I thought very, very good, very, very important. Tipper was concerned in the 1980s and early 1990s about some of the coarseness of the culture, like that horrible song you just heard, NWA, F the police, huh? Should children be listening to that? Now, they made fun of her for stepping forward and asking for some reasonable guidelines, and even a little bit more than that. The issue here is larger than violent and sexually explicit lyrics. It is one of ideas and ideals, freedoms and responsibility in our society. Clearly, there is a tension here, and in a free society, there always will be. We are simply asking that these corporate and artistic rights be exercised with responsibility, with sensitivity, and some measure of self-restraint. Some measure of self-restraint. How about that? Tipper Gore, Democrat, by the way. Democrats and Republicans back then came together. Now that's, uh, oof, she'd be thrown out of the Republican Party for coming forward with these kinds of ideas now, huh? F the police. F the police. It was all harmless, right? Uh, if you didn't think it was cool, you were somehow out of it. What did that woman say the other night? I will see you guys next Monday at 6.30 p.m. Back here on Face of Reality Radio, on the Instagram, and on the Facebook. And until then, f the police. F the police, and she drove off to kill a cop. Tipper Gore's uh, call sounds a lot more reasonable now, at least to me. All right, we have this. Joe Biden made the big announcement yesterday that we don't have to wear masks outside, and he wore a mask outside to uh, make the announcement. Now, a lot of us normal people have not been wearing a mask outside. There's absolutely no reason for that for a long time now. But something uh, odd about Joe, when he decides to take a question or maybe a second question... He seems to be kind of afraid, like he's working for somebody else. Somebody else is in charge of Joe Biden. You tell me. Listen to this. What do you say to the folks in India? You mean? Look, I'm sorry. I'm going to just last question I'll take. And I'm really going to be in trouble. I'm really going to be in trouble. Who's going to? You're the president. 
I mean, who's going to scold you? Who's going to reprimand you? Who's going to write you up? Sometimes I actually think there is a real fear that he has of his staff. I, these are younger people. These are far more traditionally radical leftist people than Joe. He says this a lot about being kind of afraid of uh, doing something that might annoy his staff. So uh, what I'd like to do is, if you are willing to give me an address, lay out for you precisely without taking more time. I'm going to get in trouble. I suppose to only talk two minutes in an answer. And I'm going to get in trouble. I always get in trouble on the last question, but go ahead. Guys, I really do have to go. I apologize. I'm going to get in real trouble. I'm all probably already in trouble. Some of that, again, in trouble with whom? That's kind of, that's kind of strange. All right, Joe, listen, if you've got a problem, tonight is the big speech. We'll all be watching. If you've got an issue... Uh, say something and we'll help you out, okay? We want to keep you safe. Uh, oh, take a look at this. Remember how Barack Obama used to speak about racial issues in America? He used to be very, very frank, very, very candid. Too many fathers are MIA. Too many fathers are AWOL. You and I know this is true everywhere, but nowhere is it more true than in the African-American community. We know the statistics that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime. They're nine times more likely to drop out of school, 20 times more likely to end up in prison. You know who found that very interesting, quite frankly, uh, white audiences. But here's a man who can tackle these issues. You know, he's, he's black. I mean, he can say things that white people can't. Well, guess what, the far left, uh, in his party, people like Jesse Jackson said, stop saying that stuff. And he stopped saying it. Here's Jesse Jackson actually caught on camera complaining about Barack Obama and this message. His uh, cut his you know what off. Uh, because he's talking down to black people. That's how uh, folks on the far left and, yes, in parts of the black community were interpreting Mr. Obama's comments back then. So he backed off big time. He didn't want to break a sweat. It was all about protecting the beautiful brand of Barack Obama. So he won't have that conversation, but some people will. Um, these folks have influence as well, but, you know, they're not, they're not presidents or former presidents, but they're important. These are two academics. They happen to be black, and they're saying things that um, very few people are. So important to me was my sense of continuity with my life from Chicago in the 1950s and the 1960s, that once I had become a tenured professor at Harvard, indeed the first African-American to hold the position of tenured professor of economics in that university's history, I was willing to throw it all away just to have the internal sense of authenticity that came from being a bad <laughs> Now, here's what I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you. It is a deep and profound problem in our culture. I'm talking about African-Americans, this tendency. It should be opposed. It should be renounced. It should be denounced. It should be called out for what it is. There, there's no glory in it. Now, you think this is politics? You think you're representing your, the angst of your enslaved ancestors? This is idiocy. It's infantile. It's a mistake. 
Professor Lowry, talking about in the African-American community, certain components of it, you know, mouthing off to cops and running away, that gives you a, a badass reputation. That connotes strength, and that's, that's cool. He says it's not. He tried that game himself. He knows better. Now, Professor McWhorter on the right, who's about to speak, he's heard this debate before. It breaks his heart that we're having it again, and the needle is not moving. It's the same old conversation, and nothing seems to be happening as a result. We can call this a conversation. And we're, we're heard, and we're not being muzzled. It's not that anybody's keeping us from saying what we're saying. Not, not, nothing of the sort. But we're, what we're saying is always going to be kind of a minority taste. We're heterodox. It's not going to be what the people out there are thinking. It's not going to stop these street protests based on a lie. Then every time you have this mob out on the street and the New York Times writing the usual piece, I just think to myself, this is never going to change. On that point, I hope he's wrong, that this time it can be different, that we can possibly make change. Barack Obama may be afraid to have this conversation, but I'm not. Those gentlemen are not. The New York Times is afraid, but I think it's time. We've got to save this country. We've got to talk about things in ways that people are uncomfortable talking. All right. We'll be joined by one of those gentlemen, Professor Lowry, when we come back. So you saw that podcast, that clip I showed you earlier in the show, uh, Jonathan McWhorter with uh, Glenn Lowry. Uh, it's from The Glenn Show. He is a podcast. This guy is totally brilliant and says some very compelling things that very few are saying. But I don't know. There's a lot there, folks. Uh, so here he is back when he was a Harvard professor. And he was at the time living a bit of a double life. He had one of the most prestigious jobs in academia. But in the culture that he was running in, well, guess what? Being a Harvard professor wasn't that cool, and he was living a different type of life at night. Now, he's totally fixed all of that, but I think his experience speaks to, uh, well, some issues that we could all use some insight on. Glenn Lowry, Merton P. Stoltz professor, professor of economics at Brown University. Uh, welcome to Newsmax. How are you? Doing well, Greg. Thank you, sir. Uh, forgive me. I'm trying to cram a, uh, a, a 30 minute podcast into about 20 seconds. But uh, you spoke about uh, your life in a very um, revealing way uh, that I think a lot of folks have no idea that there might be pressure on somebody like you who has the best job in the world, Harvard University, to somehow prove his credibility with the community by doing other things. Well, let me just first note it was a long time ago. It was 35 years ago. But yeah, um, I was at Harvard and I was also living a double life out on the streets. And as I look back on it, uh, it's pretty clear to me that I was trying to prove my bona fides as being authentically black somehow or have not less lost touch with my roots somehow. Uh, that's very unfair to the decent people who tried to give me a good start in life. It's certainly not the whole picture of African-American culture, but there was something about my uh, toxic masculinity and the way in which it expressed itself in my behavior that was very unhealthy. Uh, and I do think it's a piece of the story about black life in America that uh, needs to be confronted and, and rejected, frankly. Why aren't people confronting it? Why isn't there a fuller conversation? You keep hearing about a conversation in America and 
you spoke to Professor McWhorter and this area that you're talking about, uh, where somehow to maintain your status in the black community, you've uh, you know got to flirt with criminality, and that's going to impress a portion of the community. Why isn't that being confronted? Why won't people go there? It's very difficult territory. People don't want to confirm the most critical and negative stereotypes about the community from people on the outside. So there, there's a kind of washing dirty linen in public, and you just don't do that. Uh, but I also think that uh, if you name and acknowledge a problem, then you're in bearing a responsibility to do something about it. And I think it's much easier to blame the maladies of African-American life, such as they are, on outside forces, systemic racism, and so forth, than it is to acknowledge and accept responsibility for some of the pathology that lurks within our midst. We will not be the only Americans who have had pathological cultural problems that they've had to confront. I've heard that said about Italian and Irish and Jewish going back. But if you acknowledge it, you got to do something about it. And I think people are reluctant to, to man up and woman up. So, Professor, listen, I'm white, I'm a conservative, and I know there's been kind of a, a certain receptiveness to this in, in, in conservative circles, uh, me included. Uh, what Professor McWhorter was kind of frustrated over is that folks on the left are not willing to go there, are not willing to entertain these things and uh, at least explore them and talk about them in an open way. And he fears that history will repeat itself once again. And it just doesn't sense any movement here. How do we change that? Is it changeable? I think people are going to have to step out. Um, conservatives, of course, are going to call attention to these matters. I mean, you know, uh, with due respect to them, they're going to run the clips of uh, the kids breaking through the windows and running off with things and of the crime and, and whatnot because of the way it cuts politically. Uh, the only people who can correct, they're not wrong to do so, but they're, they're not going to have much of an impact. The only people who can really move the needle here are people who have the trust of the community. And that's why I said in that uh, podcast from which you took an outtake that I'm disappointed in, in the leadership because, you know, I, I even name names. I say the former president of the United States, Barack Obama, might have done a lot more uh, to uh, make clear the unacceptability of certain patterns of behavior in the community. He did start out in that vein. I saw that you uh, uh, had that Jesse Jackson uh, outtake of... Uh, threatening to, you know, emasculate him and so forth. But that's the kind of pressure that people are under. Uh, no wonder they're reluctant to speak out because a ton of bricks will fall on you if you do. So there's uh, Barack Obama. He's the most prestigious guy in the world for the left. You know what I mean? He's got, he's got his money. He's got his... And he won't go there. Do you think he changed his mind about these matters? Was he intimidated? Uh, like, he's got... He has nothing... To, well, he's got a lot to lose. But why would a guy like that still be afraid to go there? Here's what I think. I'll just be uh, straight up and honest with you. I think President Obama calculated that he was going to be president for eight years and that he was going to be former president for another 40 years after that. And I think the kind of cachet that he wanted to nurture and manage in his post-presidency uh, precluded him from being fully an honest broker around these issues during his presidency. I know that's a very difficult thing for some people to hear. He's the only person, I think, in 2014 and 2015 who could have changed the narrative around these issues if he had 
taken the enormous credibility that he had with black people and the enormous political weight that he carried with the country and, and had stood apart from the woke crowd. But he didn't, and he still hasn't. And I regard that as a lost opportunity. Do you sense, finally, um, that there are people looking at this moment and saying that this is, uh, we've got to make a pivot. We've got to make a change. We've got to speak about this differently, and we've got to bring more people. You said earlier, pe more people have got to step up. Or is uh, Professor McBorder right that this is just kind of, you know, we're not going to move the needle. We're kind of stuck, and we're going to have the same old conversation, the same articles from the New York Times, and the same drill, and not really make progress. What, how do we make the former happen? I think we're stuck. Uh, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen because there is the incalculable dimension of backlash here. Uh, I don't think the whole country is on board with the racial narratives that are being foisted. President Biden may well talk about systemic racism, but I'm quite sure that there are many swing districts throughout this country where people are not persuaded, white people are not persuaded that they are irredeemably racist. Uh, but I think that the, the media... Uh, the cultural establishment, the academia, uh, academic uh, institutions, the, uh, the uh, uh, arts and entertainment, Hollywood and so forth, I think they are full bore behind uh, the white supremacy, got it, done us wrong, America has its knee on the necks of black people narrative, and, and I, I don't see it changing. Professor, we'll see about that. We'll see about that. I, I, and voices like yours are very important. Quite frankly, sir, I, I've just recently became acquainted with your work. It's amazing. And I encourage everybody to check out The Glenn Show wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, Professor Lowry, we very much appreciate it and hopefully to be continued. Thank you very much, Greg. I appreciate it. You bet. And we'll be right back. Grant Stinchfield dropping by to tell us about his show, which is coming up in a little bit. Hey, Grant. Hey, Greg. Good to see you. So obviously we'll be taking right up until the big speech. Joe Biden passed his bedtime. Uh, we got complete coverage of that. But, Greg, I don't know if you saw this story from Judicial Watch. They basically uncovered evidence that the Biden campaign leading up to the election was basically colluding with the state of California to get the big social media companies to take down conservative posts. So if all this shakes out to be true, the ramifications are really, really bad for conservatives to think that it goes this far, that state employees were working on shutting us all down. Man, big tech, big problem, big problem indeed. All right, big Grant, problem. it sounds terrific. Thank you very, very much. Uh, folks, Rudy Giuliani, the president's lawyer, uh, former lawyer, had his residence raided this morning. Yes. Uh, the FBI and I think uh, representatives from the U.S. Attorney's Office went to Rudy Giuliani's house, Rudy Giuliani's house right here in Manhattan and searched it at 6 a.m. this morning. Remember when they did this to uh, Michael Cohen, by the way? Does this seem uh, fair? Are they possibly mm, wielding an axe to grind? I'd like to bring in our panel, shall we? Chris Salcedo is the host of The Chris Salcedo Show right here on Newsmax and brand new Newsmax contributor, Steve Cortez, former senior advisor for strategy to, for the Trump 2020 campaign. Gentlemen, welcome. First to you, uh, Steve. Um, the first thing I thought was prosecutorial harassment. What do you think? Right. No, it, it certainly seems like it. The politicization, unfortunately, of the Department of Justice has been ongoing for years in this country, and I fear it's only going to accelerate with Biden in charge, of, unfortunately. So uh, this certainly smells terribly, uh, and, and my hope and belief is that Rudy Giuliani, in fact, did nothing wrong. 
Uh, that's my hunch as well. And before we go to you, Chris, I want to point out that uh, Biden knew all about Rudy Giuliani and complained about him even during the debates. Take a look at this. This is the same garbage Rudy Giuliani, Trump's henchman. It's the last ditch effort in this desperate campaign to smear me and my family. And the vast majority of the intelligence people have come out and said there's no basis at all. All right. He also mentioned it during the debate. Of course, Rudy Giuliani was uh, uh, basically he had access at least to Hunter Biden's computer. I'm surprised. I mean, people know that Biden has it in uh, really doesn't like Rudy Giuliani, Chris. It's true. He doesn't like Rudy Giuliani. And of course, my understanding is that some of the electronics that were confiscated happened to be that copy of the Hunter Biden laptop confiscated by a Department of Justice now that is under the direction of, of Mr. Biden. This stinks. This, this sounds like a and feels like a political hit job. And I, I got to echo what Steve said. The politicizing of the Department of Justice has been a disgrace. It has been on a downhill trajectory since the Obama administration. Nothing is getting better. And I don't think Americans have a lot of trust that it's fair and impartial anymore. Because as, as you alluded to off the top there, Greg, uh, uh, Republicans and conservatives are treated very differently right. uh, under the law when, when arrest warrants are being issued or when searches happen at 6 o'clock in the morning. However, when Democrats, oh, they, they get fully cooperated with and they don't get taken out of bed. They get to go in and make appointments and all this kind of stuff. And, of course, Hunter Biden walking around free uh, inexplicably, or maybe we do know why. Yeah, you no, know, the Chris optics, go ahead. Chris, if I could, also, a lot of Republicans, unfortunately, cooperate with that DOJ corruption because the tape that Greg just played, you know, let's talk about that for a moment, where Joe Biden used that complete ruse of 100 former intelligence officials of the United States who claimed that the Hunter Biden laptop was not valid, that it was Russian disinformation. Of course, that was a complete lie. But who knew at the time, who knew factually that that was incorrect? The Attorney General of the United States, Bill Barr, a Republican working for Donald Trump. He knew that was a lie. And yet he did not come public and say the, the my former colleagues at the Department of Justice, the FBI, the CIA, they are out there spreading yeah. a lie to the American people. Barr could have ended that lie immediately. He chose not to. So even a lot of Republicans are very complicit in this total corruption of the DOJ. And everybody is saying, hey guys, don't no forget. one's excuse me, no one's saying much of anything right now. But the optics are horrendous. Take a look at this. Rudy Giuliani, as we all know bit of an attack dog. And this is the kind of stuff he was saying about Joe Biden not too long ago. Biden has changed his principles so often he no longer has any principles. He's a Trojan horse with Bernie, AOC, Pelosi, Black Lives Matter, and his party's entire left wing just waiting to execute their pro-criminal, anti-police, socialist policies. Well, first of all, how prescient was that? <laughs> it's really come to pass. Right? But to use the DOJ against uh, Rudy right now at this moment, uh, the optics are horrendous, or at least they should be. Uh, the mainstream media taking no interest whatsoever. Hey, by the way, uh, Donald Trump, who, by the way, <laughs> you're very close to, Steve. You used to work for him and right. uh, a real loyal lieutenant was on the Dan Bongino podcast today. And a couple of interesting things. Number one, rallies coming back. Listen to this. Right. Well, they love the Will rallies. You? We did we I, did 56 rallies. We never had an empty slot. We never, never. had an empty seat. Yeah. We averaged 25,000 people. We had one in Pennsylvania, 52,000. We had one in Florida that was probably close to 70,000 people on two days' notice. Well, wait a second. 
I was told that he said that rallies would be coming back. I didn't quite hear that in there. Maybe I missed it, gentlemen. But uh, rallies would be terrific. I know there's a demand for them. And I guess with the vaccine, it's about time. Right, uh, Chris? Oh, absolutely. I, I think a lot of people out there are searching. I said this on my show earlier. Uh, a lot of people out there looking for hope. There's not a lot of hope out there right now with socialism on the march. And as we've just been describing how a corrupt Department of Justice is seeming to do political errands. So having Donald Trump going out there, putting on another vision, a contrary vision of America first, I think it, a lot of Americans are hungry for that. And maybe even millions more than the 75 million who, who voted in the last election. All right. One other thing here. Uh, Donald Trump on running for president. I think this is the uh, furthest he's come about 2024 again on the Dan Bongino show. I am giving it the most serious consideration, as you can imagine. And based on every poll that I'm seeing and everything else, it's uh, something that is, you know, very positive. Nobody's seen anything more positive. So I'm giving it very serious consideration. Uh, if you do it, I think probably the most appropriate time would be right after the 22 election. All right. You know, it's, it's actually it's news whenever Donald Trump says anything. Uh, but I mean, that's kind of obvious, Steve. I mean, you would think he's giving it the most serious consideration. And yes, after 22 would be the time. Right. And by the way, uh, public polling verifies that Donald Trump is still far and away uh, the indispensable leader of the America First movement and of the Republican Party. Now, you might not know that if you only pay attention to the donor class or if you only look at elected officials in Washington, D.C., who might have an R after their name. But if you actually pay attention to Republican voters, uh, it is an overwhelming groundswell still of support for Donald Trump. So I believe he'll be the candidate in 2024. If he is, uh, he will be successful, I believe. So we'll see. But again, he as he may clear. He's not going to announce that now, um, but he is certainly leaning that way. That's certainly something he has told me privately, and now he's starting to say it publicly. All right. Chris, final word? Yeah, I just want to, to pivot back to where we started. Remember this Department of Justice, how corrupt it is under James Comey designating a, a hit on, on Republican lawmakers as a suicide by cop. They actually had a Bernie Sanders supporter out there trying to assassinate Republican lawmakers and the Department of Justice, the FBI under the Department of Justice, designating that a suicide by cop. That should give you an example of what we're up against, what President Trump is going to be up against if he does run. All right, Chris, Steve, thank you guys so much. Thank you. When we come back, a uh, quick preview, quick, we'll make it quick, of uh, Joe Biden's crazy speech tonight. Be right back. Tonight, special coverage from 8.30 to 11, Joe Biden's big speech. I don't think he's going to go two and a half hours. He can't. He doesn't have that kind of endurance. But anyway, it's going to be his first uh, speech before a joint session of Congress. Ordinarily, this would have happened uh, months ago. He is unveiling uh, the $1.8 trillion American Families Plan. Let's go through this with one of our experts, one of our favorites, Tom Schatz. He's the president of the Citizens Against Government Waste. Uh, Tom, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Well, I'm not doing so great because on behalf of the taxpayers, I am concerned about what the president is proposing tonight. Uh, 1.8 indeed, 1.8 trillion. Let's go through it. Uh, uh, preschool, $200 billion. Hey, nursery school is important, but what's the issue here? Well, the issue here is that uh, Head Start has been around since uh, the Great Society, the last giant effort to uh, have the government do everything for everyone. And it has essentially been a failure. The government has never been good at telling everybody how to teach children. 
And free, of course, means that you will now be giving something away, enticing more people to come in, and no accountability for that money. That's got to come from somewhere. Uh, I forgot about that. The Great Society. <laughs> wow. All the way to back then. Uh, community College, $109 billion. And they're talking about free tuition for an awful lot of people for two years of schooling. Oh, same issue there. A lot of people don't need to go to college. People who graduate don't always get jobs, or you know, in this case, they wouldn't be saddled with debt, but they wouldn't necessarily be getting what they need out of it to succeed. But you know, then again, they'll find some other way to just keep paying them to do nothing like they're doing now for many people uh, with this relief, quote unquote, from the pandemic. By the way, two years of free community college, as we saw a picture of Yale. Uh, we're not talking about that, uh, but uh, that's for everybody. Everybody who wants it. Right. Right. And again, look, this is a little bit uh, like the forgiveness of student loan debt, which Elizabeth Warren would like, and Joe Biden hasn't quite gone that far yet. But the bulk of that money would go to the people who spend a lot of money to go to college, especially graduate school. It wouldn't help lower and middle class individuals who spend far less and pay off a lot of their debt as they go through. Pell Grants and Dreamers, uh, the cost comes to $80 billion. Tell us about that, please. Well, Pell Grants are uh, grants to people to attend school. Again, money that helps them go to, well, now it's free college, so I'm not quite sure how this fits together. Uh, but that addresses uh, something that right now is a smaller program. Look, some of these programs are so much larger than they have ever been. It's difficult to see how they can even spend this much money that quickly, but they'll probably figure it out. Now, teacher diversity, um, I'm not sure why that would be a government priority. I think we already have a great deal of uh, teacher diversity, but $9 billion uh, for that. Well, look, uh, anybody who gets a job should be qualified for the job. Certainly, we want more diversity throughout the entire United States. There's no question that that would be useful. But if you're not qualified, giving someone a job does not help anyone because it's not helping the kids that need to learn from somebody who knows what they're doing. And it also doesn't help the teachers who aren't going to feel successful if they're unable to teach. So I don't think that's a great way to uh, increase what we might need in terms of uh, additional teachers throughout the country. I want to jump down to uh, healthy foods incentive demonstration. One billion dollars for that. I have not seen the fine print healthy foods incentive demonstration. What could that be? Well, that's some of the uh, questions about some communities don't have access to um, vegetables, fruits and vegetables, and may not have stores nearby. Uh, that's not honestly a federal issue. It's more of a local issue that you can't force someone to go in a community and sell products. Uh, actually, interestingly, in California, a bunch of stores have stopped uh, doing this because the wages are so high they can't afford to pay their workers, so they've shut stores down, which doesn't help that, that issue. It's another way of the government to get a policy through, as opposed to looking at how this might be done practically. All right. So overall, I want to put the big price tag up once again, $1.8 trillion. Uh, this is, uh, oh, by the way, I think this, what is it? What's the word? It exceeds AOC's hopes and expectations, right? This is what she was talking about. Well, it doesn't. By the way, when you add in the American Rescue Plan, all the money pre previously spent on quote-unquote COVID relief, the $2.5 trillion infrastructure plan plus this when you're at about 9.75 trillion dollars that's more than twice as much as the entire budget just two years ago in 2019 all right well good luck you got a lot of work ahead of you thank you very much um the the, the likelihood of all this stuff i mean he can actually do this on his own with just democrats couldn't he
Uh, not quite. Some of it may not get through with reconciliation, which is the process used to only have one party approve legislation. Uh, there'll be some compromises. Look, the tax increase part of it hasn't even been raised or dis discussed but in this segment, at least, but that's something else people need to look out for. That, of course, will affect everyone as well. Uh, I think there will be uh, a couple of things that he might not get, but everybody has to be really careful about what's going on on Capitol Hill. Hopefully, a few Democrats will say this is a little too much. Tom Schatz, president of Citizens Against Government Waste. Good luck with all you do, by the way. And tonight, again, uh, we will have full coverage of this bad boy from 830 to 11 tonight. We'll be right back. We started the show to tell you about a cop that no one's talking about, a hero cop who lost his life earlier this week, Anastasios Sakos, uh, 43 years old, a veteran of the force, father of a six-year-old and a three-year-old. He was killed by a drunk driver who had just gone on Facebook Live for an hour and a half talking about how much they hated cops, how they had such disrespect for cops. And they signed off that silly podcast with uh, the message, F the police. And they said a little bit more than F from that silly NWA song from a while back. We thought we'd put up the GoFundMe page established by friends for police officer Anastasios Sakos. Uh, you can find it on GoFundMe. They do some great stuff over there. Very sorry about this matter. All right, folks, we have this as well. A little bit of Trump truth. Ultimately, I'm always right. President was on the Dan Bongino podcast today. Dan Bongino, great American. Um, and he said this about us. And, you know, I wouldn't say Fox has been exactly perfect. Fox has been a big difference of Fox between now and what it was four years ago, as you know. But we have others that come along and they're doing well. And uh, uh, Newsmax has been really good. And, you know, others are coming along. And people are seeing that they're watching these conservative networks. All right. Well, let's work on that really good, huh? I want to hear great. Mr. President, we are great. Thank you very much for watching. Stand by for Stinchfield. And thank you, Mr. President. That was very, very nice. To be continued, everyone.